0: When I was 13, 14, I um, hit a peak in my early career. I was playing for England. Oh um, right. I got wow. sponsored by Adidas, and wow. I was doing really well. And then, um, because I was an early developer, um, I think around the 15-year-old mark, that's when other players started to get a bit bigger, Okay. and I started to struggle. And that's when the bullying kicked in. Um, and then from that, from then on, that's when I started to struggle going going into like the fitbling environment. Um, And that's when, you know, mental health battles started to, to kind of occur.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Project Footballer podcast, episode 13. Today, we are discussing mental health in youth football, and I'm joined by Fabio Sol and Dr. Osso. Welcome, guys.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you Um, for having us. I'm Daniela Osso, and I am a psychotherapist. I've been working in the mental health field for around 20 years. I've been working with um, the general public and um, athletes. Um, I've been working from, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, levels of um, athletes, um, Team GB athletes, uh, down to uh, young children that are involved in football. So mainly with the young children, um, I've been working with footballers, their parents and coaches too.
0: And how did you guys meet each other? Yeah, so um, Dingella's son, KJ, he's one of my my closest friends and we, we grew up in school together. Um, so there was a point, um, where I was at Reading FC for five years from 12 years old to 16. And, um, in that time, uh, around 15 or 16, I think mm-hmm. that's when I started to develop, um, some, some mental health battles. And that's when I approached Ingella to kind of, um, help me in that aspect and, and get me better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And,
1: and can you talk me through that process and that journey?
0: Yeah. Um well, so it was it was basically all my kind of problems came from, from on the pitch. Um every time I'd step on to the pitch I'd get a flourish of anxiety. Um I wouldn't be able to really perform. My head would be like all over the place and I I was was bullied as well from a from a younger age, so that kind of had that like um effect on me further on. Um so with Daniela she kind of helped me work on the self-talk in my head, the, the beliefs I had um, to kind of get a healthier mindset to, to approach the football in. And that allowed me to enjoy football a whole lot, a whole lot more.
2: Yeah, the um, interesting thing is um, when Fabio reached out, um, we obviously had a, a trial session to see if we could work together. And my style is very much... Um, I'm listening to the person. So it doesn't matter if somebody's 9, 10, 15, like what Fabio was, or if he's a parent, I don't have one size fits them all. I usually listen to what the problem is and from an emotional and psychological point of view, and then I design the treatment around it. So that's how Fabio and I hit it off. Uh, basically, I listened to him, understood what was going on as a person and as a footballer, and then obviously we we just um, we just went from there. Um, we talk a lot. I mean, I hear a lot of talk about mental health. Um, I kind of developed in my head a different sentence because it is mental training that um is necessary and needed out there from a young age um but not just for the children especially for the parents Mm. as well because i am a parent and i was a parent of a footballer um and nobody prepared me for the journey Mm. um so i was out of my depth in a way as a parent um so yes I, i fully empathize with the footballers and with parents but also um Interestingly enough, I empathise and understand how coaches could be out of their depth, too, at times, Mm. because I don't think they have a a knowledge of mental health or mental training uh, for themselves and, you know, to pass on to to, pass on yeah yeah, to pass on to 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 the children and the parents because there is pressure from everywhere
1: Mm. so you guys have now formed the company footballers minds yeah um and how is that going yeah it's
0: going it's going really well
2: it's going very well we've had a lot of successes um we had a lot of struggles as well yeah um obviously being new and in a field that is extremely competitive but also, I think it's a field that is quite secretive. Okay. So um, admitting a uh, struggle or um, uh, even uh, saying I've got a need here could be seen as a weakness.
0: Yeah, I think um, the the main sort of um, intention behind creating footballers' minds was from from when I was struggling. I didn't really have anywhere to go to. So if I was when I was in the academy or people at, at younger ages. Um, we kind of wanted to be that service for those those children almost to have a safe space to talk to, um, especially with parents as well because I got a lot of, of pressures from my own parents who did the best they could but they only knew what they knew and so um, it did affect me going into different sessions, different matches. So were you an academy yourself? Yeah, so I was at, uh, for, at Reading from um, 11 till um, first year scholar. Yeah, oh, all right. And then uh, from second year scholar, I moved to Oxford um, and stayed there for three years until the summer just gone, um, where I got released and yeah. And so at what point
1: did you start, you begin suffering of anxiety when you played?
0: Yeah, so that was um, a little bit when I was about 13, 14 as a, so I, when I was thirteen, fourteen, I um, hit a peak in my early career. I was playing for England. Oh um, right. I got wow. sponsored by Adidas, and I was wow. doing really well. And then um, because I was an early developer, um, I think around the fifteen-year-old mark, that's when other players started to get a bit bigger. Okay. And I started to struggle, and that's when the bullying kicked in. Um, and then from that, from then on, that's when I started to struggle going going into like the fitbling environment um and that's when you know mental health battles started to to kind of occur god and so
1: um yeah, what would that what would that bullying be like what would be some of the examples if you don't mind explaining yeah
0: um so it would be kind of i would be seen as quite, kind of like a vulnerable um kid because of me being quite small compared to the other, the other kids, um, oh, so you were, so I was early an early developer, developer and then, then g- gradually the yeah, other players yeah, overtook you yeah, and then, physically. Yeah. So yeah. then, mm-hmm. um, GCSE level, I moved from, um, the school I went to with Daniela's son to, um, the Reading school, which is a football school. Yeah. And, um, we were in the school with the year, with the age group above from Reading. So, there was obviously pressures to kind of compete with um year older boys and it would kind of get um a bit much sometimes when you know older kids would kind of bully about in terms of on the pitch and off the pitch um kind of make their mark so yeah it would come in different in different instances but but it would it would vary there'd be things they would say in the changing world yeah like some some physical sometimes um Yeah, it would be, it'd be emotionally and physically. Really? So it would be quite draining actually to come into like school, especially. Um, But yeah, it was something that I had to learn and had to learn to deal with.
1: Do you think, looking back at it now, reflecting, because like you say, the academy environment is so competitive Mm -hmm. as much as your teammates. They're probably also looking to understand that there's only so many players that would get scholars, would mm. get pro contracts. So you're also competitors. Yeah. Do, do you see that they were sort of maybe using bullying to try and have another player now removed from their their competition?
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, in hindsight now I'm obviously going through all that. It's easy for me to say that the only person you should compare yourself with is yourself. Okay, yeah. um, but back then it was probably an ego thing for, for the other players to try and get get a step up or get ahead of um, other players somehow. So some players would put some people down or the banner may get, may get a bit too much. Um, but yeah, I think that's the same in any footballing environment, I think. I don't know if it is. Well, it, it kind of varies in degrees, but changing rooms can be very toxic. Right. Um, the Some changing rooms are great and healthy, but some, the banner can get a bit too much and that's when players they they don't want to speak up because they may be seen as, as weak or or struggling so yeah it can it can be quite difficult
1: do you think this is an english culture do you think this is the same in in
0: other countries um i, d- I don't i don't know about other countries i think because the football in in england is such a is such a high level Everyone wants to be at the top and they'll do anything to get there, which I respect. But obviously, when you're putting other people down as a result of that, that's when it gets too much. And that's mm. when you should reflect on how like, you should be behaving. Mm. And how, how did your coaches or the club help with this? I think at the time um, I kind of kept it all to myself. So I kind of uh, suppressed everything. Um, so, so exactly what age? Was it at its worst? So at its worst was probably 15. Right. Um, I used to, like, um, go to the toilets to to cry, um, to, like, get it all out so that I could then approach training in a kind of fresher mind. But the coaches didn't um, really have a lot of information as I didn't really say anything, Um, which as a young kid, I guess, is totally reasonable because you don't want to affect your chances of getting any deal because you're struggling or um yeah i think it was it was down to me to to kind of keep it to myself so were the coaches aware of it at all because
1: obviously coaches are going to be in the changing room they're going to be on the training pitch mm-hmm.
0: they're, they're going to be close to it did did they turn the blind eye No, I don't think they turned the blind eye. I think they were aware of the the clashes between our age group and and the age group above. Um, Eventually, I did start speaking to um, the club therapist, but that was at 17. So that was two years um, after. But yeah, in terms of the coaches, they were were quite oblivious as we didn't really speak up um, and say anything.
1: And so remind me again, how old were you when you then reached out to Daniela? So that was about uh 16. Yeah, yeah.
2: around that time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Had you been released from reading at this time? N- uh no, so I left Reading. Um so you didn't you didn't even get released, you just walked out. Well, it was
0: a difficult situation. I because of the the struggle I was having, I kind of asked to leave. Um uh they kind of took it as they got quite offended because like why would a player want to leave and I explained that I was really struggling mentally. Um and then I went back the following season for first year scholar and I was like, I wanted to kind of stay and fight. But they told me that I wouldn't be playing one game this year because I was wanting to leave. So that's when I decided to leave and um, to go to Oxford. Um, so they didn't
1: come from the approach to say, oh, we want to help. Yeah. We're struggling with mental health. Mm. They just took it as no you try to leave yeah. now you're coming back with your tail between your legs type thing. Yeah. It was more that yeah. maybe, maybe they were thinking, and again, but maybe they were thinking, Oh, he's going off to another club or do you think maybe thought they thought that? Yeah, I
0: think they were quite, as, as I was saying that the coaches were quite, um, or even the, the highest staff were quite uneducated in terms of that, that mental health. I remember the academy manager at the time, um, was really unsupportive and you know I grew like a real big hate towards him because I was the one struggling and he was the one turning a blind eye and I guess that that happens quite a lot in football so I guess like speaking to parents um that is something that they've got to kind of teach their child from early on that Mm. um life is going to be unfair and football is going to be unfair but it's how like you deal with those situations um that kind of like builds you as as a person Mm. so so, Daniela, how did you react when
1: Fabio reached out to you?
2: Well, obviously, um, when he reached out to me, I, as I said before, I wanted to understand a little bit more for him as a person, what was actually going on. Um, so interestingly, what Fabio just said confirmed, confirms a little bit of what we were talking about before coaches um, uneducated in the sense of um, uh, mental health. Of course, it's not their field, but well. It is, in a way, if you, if you think, because they have a duty of care. Mm. So we're talking minors here, and uh, the fact that a coach does not pick up the signs... Or even if, you know, Fabio eventually speaks up um, and nothing is done. In fact, if, if anything, it's a whack, basically, that shows the culture of football, for, for starters, the pressure that everybody's under. Because mm. I don't look at that in a malicious way. I look at that from a point of view of we are an academy, we are putting a lot of money into um, you know, our players we need to potentially put some of them in the first team or or sell them off or whatever. Um, And, uh, you know, it's, I need to just get rid of something here. Mm. You know, I need to get rid of problems, if anything. So that's, uh, it's quite a negative culture, if you think, because we're talking human beings. So when Fabio reached out and when he told me what was going on, I thought, okay, hang on a minute. I thought it was like a small issue to start with. Oh, really? Well, you know, as a therapist, you always hope yeah. that it's something quite quick that you can fix really quickly as well. As, was,
1: yeah. was you thinking, oh, he needs to toughen up?
2: <laughs> no. <Hey. laughs> Um, when we say toughen up, it, it's an interesting um, concept, but um, you know, very often when people call out and when they reach out, they um, tell me a little tiny bit of what is going on. And um, that is usually the tip of the iceberg. Uh, there's so much more that keeps the problem going. So that's what um, Fabio and I did. We started understanding a little bit more what was going on behind. And uh, usually, as I said before, For me, mental health is all about what is your mindset, what is actually going on. It's not only the negative external factors that are influencing you, but um, usually it's a compound of the situation or situations around me plus what I'm telling myself, so the self-talk. Potentially, not just fabulous, but the uh, self-talk of a person becomes quite negative so the vibes are picked up from the environment as well. So if I am, for example, being told that I'm not good enough, yeah, then I start telling myself, okay, well, I'm not good enough. Mm. Uh, I'm not good enough for this. You know, they've, you know, ten people have told me I'm not good enough. And uh. children, because he was a child. I mean, yeah. well, in fact, he was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. He's still a minor, still a child. Children don't have potentially the resilience or the um, experience of an adult so they have nothing to fall onto
1: well I think sometimes because that's really interesting you talk about the inner voice Mm -hmm. and for many people they're almost not aware that they have an inner voice it's all completely unconscious and it's such a shift at a time when a person starts hearing that Mm -hmm. and then they can
0: potentially start to change it or become aware of that voice it's yeah I mean it's not taught at a young age at all but I think once you become more advanced in your emotional intelligence. At first it's like, okay, I need to um, reprogram the way my mind thinks, that's what me and Daniela did. Um, But then it gets to, oh, these thoughts aren't actually true. You know, um, these negative thoughts in my head, they're not who I am, they're not um, like a a true statement. It's something that I can deal with and not be affected by it. Wow, so
1: it's the the external affects the internal yeah but we have to reverse that we have to get the internal you know doing what we want it to do to then affect the external and then when you start seeing things like people saying oh you're not good enough you're you're, you're not this you're not this um you can obviously listen to their opinion but if you're so strong in your inner voice and your inner beliefs then you you, you understand you can reject it yeah yeah um
2: Correct. Is, is that oh, what you taught? Fantastic. Yes. Okay. Absolutely yeah. okay. spot on. I I kind of teach people to become, for lack of a better word, uh, waterproof. Right. You know? So yes, it washes over you basically. Uh, mind you, it's not easy no. to reach that state. Yeah. Uh, because obviously, you know, uh, it is one of the oldest forms of tor- torture. If you think, you know, just being told something, eventually you start believing in crushing. Uh, but yeah reversing that is very powerful um and then it changes your mindset for life
1: mm. so, so fabio um in the future i mean um uh, at some point if you have um a, a child who got into academy football um would would you want them to go through the same journey that you went through i mean um of obvi- it obviously yeah hopefully they don't experience yeah. what you experience but would you still put them into academy football
0: yeah i mean i want to i want my child to be exposed to failure um I think failure is a great thing um because it allows you to kind of learn early on what it's like to fail right and like deal with that okay so like what would
1: potentially I mean would you see it being a reading problem like like for instance if your child said Oh, I want I go and play for Reading, mm. we say no, you're not going to that club.
0: No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Um, I think hopefully times like will change, okay. and like that's what we're trying to help with. That we're trying to make a change in this industry. Um, I don't think it's any particular club that's worse than the other. I just think that people responsible for the duty of care, parents, coaches, um, even the child itself, should be a bit more um, exposed to the intelligence of what can I learn about myself because you're going to be living with yourself for the rest of your life and mm-hmm. it's important to learn what's going on in your mind Um so you can essentially I remember Daniela saying to me that I will eventually be my own therapist like, mm-hmm. I will teach myself how to overcome things and I won't need Daniela um, so yeah that, that's where I'm from that's where I'm coming from in that in that aspect
1: so what like coping mechanisms would you give your child to deal with i mean do do you see in fact sorry let's ask this question um do you see that kind of bullying and um will will be a, it's just a part of academy football do you think that's just always going to exist in a changing room
0: no I, right. I i hope i hope not i hope not um but i'd hope that i'd bring my child up in a way where he value or he or she values their their own opinion more than others and okay they don't get swayed by what other people say and they can stand, stand strong and tall in what they believe in. Um, so yeah. And and Danilia, how does a parent teach that to their
1: child?
2: Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, you know, as, as I always say, children are like white canvases. Yeah. yeah. So you, you actually put in quite a lot into them. Um, and um, Fabio touched upon a very important point, teaching children that failing, that um, unfairness exists um, is one of the most important lessons, I think. There is a big culture in England, um, I'm saying in England, maybe all over the world actually, about the fear of failure. Mm. Yeah, So I, I know a lot of parents who do not put their children through an academy, for example, or any uh, activities for fear of them not being good enough, so failing. I actually think uh, that myself, my son, uh, we failed a few times in our lives, in different fields. Um, failed at, you know, maybe scoring a penalty for my son or, or something, anything. And it's so healthy. Because it's good to feel the crush of emotions, but knowing how to pick yourself up and acknowledge that you are fallible like anyone. So that's a good lesson um, to have, I think, to to know that um, things may not go right. Mm But if you have a goal, so establishing goals in life um, is very healthy and important. And the goals need to be revisited, obviously, because, hey, if I want to be, you know, the best therapist in the world, I'm still working on it. Okay, so we may need to reset our goals and it's all right. It's all right to adjust and it's all right to firstly not believe in limits, but maybe find that, you know, you have a boundary at one point. Mm. Um, and that's all right as well. You know, if you cannot be I um, I don't know, um, the top player in England, well, is it okay to play in League Two? Yeah, does, does it make sense? So that's not a failure because I have seen a lot of parents, especially, that give a sort of mentality to the child and that unless you go to, you know, to play for Chelsea, for Liverpool, or you know, a Premiership club—that's it. You're yeah. not playing anymore, and that—that's a crushing lesson. Mm. Rather than saying, "Hey, you want to be a player? Maybe you play for your local team eventually, and that's all right." Mm. Um, so it's enjoyment, as well of life, rather than
1: uh, mm. black and
2: white. Yeah. Is it all good or all bad? Yeah.
1: What about with that journey where you'd had? You said you're an early developer, and then you—you you got um, success at Reading. Yeah. Um, you're in England. Um, so had your trajectory always been success? Um, oh, sorry, what do you mean by that? Like, so had you always experienced success the whole time? Had you ever had failure yeah. up until that point? Yeah,
0: so um, because I was an early developer, um, like up until that age of 14, I, I had experienced a lot of success. Right. Um, going to England and being sponsored by Adidas. I think in year seven, our school team, we, we got to the, the National Cup final, which was in the Medeski Stadium. And um, we lost that, but we we, I, I experienced a lot of of success going to that point. So when I started to experience those failures, it was kind of a big shock. And yeah, it it was not something I knew how to deal with at all, right. and we didn't obviously deal with it very well because of that. Um, so I guess like experiencing those those successes were were great. Yeah. But I think um, if I were to have a few failures within that, that would have been also very helpful for me Mm. in the future in our last episode we
1: talked about the importance of growth mindset Mm -hmm. and what parents can do to when they're praising children be careful to praise the result um and focus a lot more on the process that led to the result yeah um what are your thoughts on that subject, Daniela?
2: I absolutely um, agree with that. Uh, one of my, um, you know, philosophies is actually growth mindset, yeah. which means flexibility, and that's what we were talking about. That's why it's important to be exposed to different uh, results in life yeah so it could be well I'm not succeeding very much at that but that's all right you know average is okay as well um, so it's a spectrum basically it's not something that is um, stuck in mm. time and it's uh, learning it's 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 a learning culture i'm mm. learning from my experiences yeah. so looking at um, situations uh as an experience is always good um because obviously you, you're not boxing something up so you're not you know being tight um and and, and that's the best It's the best that a parent and a child can have like a growth mindset very flexible view of life yeah Th- that's you know i mean honestly if you have that if you develop that and maintain that hardly ever you can disturb yourself. Mm. Mm. So the disturbance is short-lived. I'm not saying that people will not feel negative emotions, but the negative emotion will be healthy. Let me give you an example. So if I have failed as a child um, to get into an academy, me as a parent can encourage that child to say, well, look, hang on, You, you failed at getting into that academy, but look at the world. I mean, how many possibilities are there? Mm-hmm. And at that, at that point, sadness is normal.
0: Mm. The
2: child cannot be happy. You know, I, I, I aimed to get into that academy. I didn't make it. So sadness is a very healthy response at mm. that point. Depression would be a stretch too far. So if I actually stop playing because I didn't make it, if my parents tell me that's all right, you know, rather than that, you'll do ballet, mm. um, you know, then it becomes like, oh, my God, failure is mm. definitely very bad. Yeah. And then, you know, depression is OK at that point. So each time I fail, I'll be depressed. Hence, I might not try anything mm. that makes me potentially fail that, mm. you know, could actually have the outcome as failure. While, as I said, if a parent encourages, encourages me to have a good old cry about it, <laughs> yeah? And we all cry together and yeah. we're all quite sad and we talk about it and we say, gosh, it wouldn't have been fantastic if you, fantastic if you had made it. But you didn't.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, like parents sometimes um, focus on the outcome of the situation rather than mm-hmm. addressing that they, they have done their best and that's all that, that they can do. Um, it's not to be so focused on if they succeed or fail. It's like, what lesson can I take from this?
2: And it's it's about the being open about talking about emotions as well as mm. a parent. Often us as parents, and I'm putting myself in it, want to protect the child and not show that we feel something about the situation. When I think it's quite healthy to say, well, I feel very sad. Mm-hmm. You know, as a parent, I feel really sad and sad for me and sad for you mm. because I had hopes as a parent and you had hopes for yourself. Um, so let's talk about it. In,
1: in my experience, some of the best players that I've ever worked with mm-hmm. have got a real desire to win. Yeah, yeah. Th- they, they do not like losing I know. Um, and they feel that pain when they lose. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that they will then take it into their training. Mm-hmm. You know that they're going away and like, you know, working super hard. Um, yeah. And then, you know, they're, they're working to avoid that pain to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's a healthy approach?
2: Amazing approach. Okay. Amazing, because, you know, that's exactly a growth mindset. Right. It's like, yes, my God, I don't like losing. Yeah. So I'm going to make, you know, all the possible steps to, to actually win. Yeah. That's a great mindset because you're not getting crushed by something negative you're actually taking that as a motivator to you know dust yourself up and just off you go Um, and there may be a time when you feel oh very angry and frustrated about it and sad you know and that's all right it's confined it's very much contained that's great yeah Yeah.
1: so for a parent if there is a parent who's developing a footballer Mm -hmm. um, is it okay for them to encourage their child to be Annoyed and upset when they've lost, yeah. and are, are very happy and, and adulated when they've won. Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. Okay, that's
2: mm. absolutely fine because if you respond appropriately to the situation, well, that's fantastic. We don't need to um, reinvent the wheel. Yeah, as humans, we just need to go with. Come on, what's appropriate here? Yeah, yeah.
0: It's not appropriate to be happy when you've just lost yeah, a, a fight. Exactly. But I, I think it's important to not like go to down and, and up when you've experienced a high success or a low failure i think okay it's important to kind of keep it steady um <clears throat> but obviously embrace those moments where, where you are where you are successful well i think again from a coaching point of view when they've had
1: the highs of winning um if we as coaches can link it back to training and because because you know ultimately the more someone practices and does good practice the yeah. better they're going to be and that that's a lot that they're going to see a lot more development there than just a little game on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. The game is almost just like the exam. So then what we would do as coaches is say, Oh, how good does it feel? We've won. It's so good. Isn't it? Well, you know why you won? It's because you worked really hard on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all that training you did was, was so strong. And so then connecting the emotions to then getting the the, the, the process right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, Believe that that was the correct approach, and and the emotion was healthy there, um, and that sort of like winning attitude was right. Um, when do you see it going too far though?
2: Well, you know, winning attitude is always good. Yeah, we always. I mean, as humans, we want to succeed. Honestly. Yeah. We, because you know, not succeeding in the good old days could be quite dangerous. You right. know, if you don't succeed at keeping yourself safe, yeah, it could have been dangerous. So winning, having good emotions is always good. And let's remember that the more um, healthy, positive emotions we have, mm. the more we open up you know, uh, neurons to you know, having neuropaths that are very positive and healthy. Right. So it's very good. It's very interesting to feel good. You know, th- there is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of studies on positive mindsets and mm. uh, the psychology of, you know, feeling positive and being positive. Um, so if it is linked up to a real situation, yeah, it can cement that kind of neuropath, which yeah. so very good. Yeah. A feel good factor is yeah. what we all want.
0: Yeah. I think um, a, a point where it could get a bit too much is if like complacency kicks in. Um, like if you've just come off a, a recent win and you feel like you don't need to work as hard to get the next Then that's when it can kind of affect your form or affect your your day like life day to day um so it's important not to to get that complacency and always keep that focus
1: no it's a really good point and i think hopefully as parents and coaches if we can always connect success to the process mm-hmm. then that helps avoid that complacency setting in yeah yeah because yeah, the child will as soon as they do maybe have some failure, and if they're stretching themselves, at some point they should be having that because they don't want it all just easy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do, do you feel you could have got stretched a little bit more somehow on your process on your journey?
0: Um. Well, because I grew up quite privileged and I I, grew, I got everything I wanted when I was yeah. younger. Oh, so okay. I definitely feel that maybe yeah I could have been um, stretched a bit more because. I learned that success came quite easily, so like work hard and success didn't really marriage it when uh. I was younger. Um, but obviously, I learned that l- later on. So yeah, I think it's it's always important to stretch yourself, go outside your comfort zone. Mm. Cause that's where you well, that's where you grow most um, mm. when you're uncomfortable.
1: Daniela, I, you touched on it a moment ago. I really liked it um, where you talked about kind of like how our brains are hardwired for mm-hmm. for you know what, how we survived. Um, many years ago um yeah do you mind just going into a little bit more detail about that please
2: yes um well obviously uh, nowadays we have developed more the science of understanding ourselves yeah. but i think that we potentially had lost it at one point really because, well if you think uh, when we didn't have all this knowledge we survived very well yeah so obviously um uh, Let's say that the majority of people may have had already a mindset that was very helpful. In fact, when um, certain kind of therapies started uh, to be developed in the 50s, 1950s, I'm talking more about cognitive behaviour therapy. Mm. um, The uh, Albert Ellis, uh, who was a psychologist, American psychologist, realised that people that were feeling good and feeling well were not the most privileged of people, in fact, but people that had gone through hardship and learned from it and came out stronger at the other end. Right. So um, that was very interesting because he himself had uh, a fairly tough childhood Mm. and he still was one of the happiest men on the planet. Mm. So he thought, hang on a minute, there must be something here Mm. that... Had not been understood so far. Um, so now the fact that we are studying it doesn't quite mean that we didn't have it before. Yeah. Mm. So we survived because we are quite resilient. Mm. Um, and it's about, uh, you know, what, what was seen and developed was um, uh, understanding that it's not necessarily the situations that we are in. Yeah. That create our disturbance, but it's how we view those situations. Yeah. So, for example, uh, if I was to lose my job, it is not the loss of my job that creates my depression, but it's how I view that loss. Yeah. Okay. okay. That does it make sense?
1: It it does it does. Um. I suppose like I'm thinking like millions and millions of years ago. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We're we're walking across the plains. Um. You know, maybe, th- th- uh, the, the people at those times would be yeah feeling terrible potentially because um there's a lion attacking yeah. their tribe or something yeah. i don't know just like Caveman. a random example like that yeah so so then that the motion of feeling the pain of someone in their tribe getting eaten by that lion causes them to now go and build a fire and build a hut yes. to protect them and now the tribe is now safe yeah so the emotion has saved that group, and then they've then procreated, mm-hmm. and they're the ones who've then survived, and um, yeah. Um, so I suppose that's kind of like what I'm getting—that of like yeah. how the emotions are there to protect us, oh. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Us, and they are healthy, yeah, and they're part of our survival it's, spirit.
0: It's like, um, I think well, back in those those days, it was like if you saw like a lion or whatever, it would be that anxiety to kind of fight or flight, right? Whereas now we don't obviously have that 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 extreme threat of a lion trying to kill us. No. So it's like, well, if there's a threat, it's an anxiety telling us maybe we need to change something, but it's not as big as, you know, back in those days. That's where it's kind of like been programmed from. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely like that in the sense that it's a very, very good question that you asked. Um, and it's, you know, in those days, yet yeah, correctly <laughs> The emotion was actually leading us to change our behaviours. So the behaviour was, as you said, you know, building something safer. Um, So we, we learned from it. We became much more resilient. Yeah. So we actually knew that a negative situation was not the end of it. Yeah, we can suffer. In the short term but what about the longer term what are we doing about it and that's exactly what um, was studied again in the 1950s you know how can we get back to that because that's how we survived Mm. yeah so we developed via our own emotions ways out of it Mm. yeah and that's how we we, we came to, to nowadays as fabio touched upon well, we don't live in a war zone, thankfully. Yeah. So those uh, big anxieties, the fight or flight, are not uh, something that we experience in, in in a sort of there is no real physical danger now. But we've turned that into an ego danger. So the the threat is to my own self. Yeah. So, for example, uh, you know, if I'm not performing at the academy, oh my God, it's the end of the world. OK, so that's how now we perceive threats. We think it's me and every everybody's looking at me. The spotlight is on me. So I crash as much as, you know, the, the academy not wanting me becomes my lion. Mm, so yeah. that's how we've, we've kind of, uh, you know, turned it. We created danger when, in fact, I mean, if the academy, as an example, doesn't want me, it's not really eating me alive, is yeah. it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you're gonna survive yeah but yeah your hopes of becoming a footballer might be dashed but yeah every every footballer that we've had on this show um this podcast they've talked about their journeys and they all experience rejection along the way of course it's part of the process um and i think that parents and coaches definitely need to do more to help um, players understand that that's expected yeah Mm -hmm. um and then, and then it's then okay. You've pushed yourself. You've stretched yourself this far, right? You've now hit a bit of a ceiling. Now maybe that the, this areas that you now need to work on, or things need to change, or you need to drop down a level. You, that's how people sort of find their level. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think um, it's definitely underappreciated, potentially, like the the mental sort of pressures that puts on people. Yeah. Um, when they're going through that process, yeah. um, what does what does it look like where it goes too far and a player now is going into like depression?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What, what, different like for ages, like what does that look like for a parent and child?
2: Well, it, it does depend, as you said. I mean, is it something that is uh, contained, short-lived? Yeah. You know, if it's a moment in which some reason I just you know the loss is too big for me to 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 uh to digest right um then I can go into depression depression is something that I mean is it clinical depression or is it not let's not go too deep here uh but uh, depression is something that we can all experience at times um and it can be healthy in a way because when you were talking about how did we evolve depression was what we felt when the lion was eating us alive okay Okay? in in a short uh, time frame because if a lion is eating me alive yeah do not want to feel it Mm, okay so that's my last port of call you know after that is all gone i see so that's the anxiety before was making us run when the lion catches up with us and is going to eat us alive, then I just want to be numb. Ah, and that's how yeah. depression is manifesting itself mm. nowadays in a way. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a very complex um, uh, disorder, but the, the numbness and the kind of demotivation yeah. and feeling flat yeah. comes from those days. So oh,
0: that's, that's kind of what I'm... I'm protecting myself. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of what the, I experienced when going through it. I didn't mm. really feel a lot of emotion and when I did it would be like all in all out in one go so like a period of of crying um or just anger um it would really drain me after those those episodes and that's when I'd just crash again and it would kind of like just repeat like you don't really want to put yourself out there in in a social environment or you know be around friends or family because you just don't want that hassle of explaining like what's going on were your parents aware of what was happening I think yeah um Eventually, they were. I kind of did. I did suppress a lot, um like going through those days. But it, it, it wasn't a lot of awareness around me from what I was going on. So, like my friends at school, they didn't really have a an idea that I was going through anything. Mm-hmm. And when I was around friends, I would like put a mask on. I'd be happy. I'd laugh. But deep down, it would be like just hurt. I'd just be painful. Just not feel anything. So. Mm. It, yeah. The depression can vary like to each person but yeah and how big of a problem do you think
1: m- mental health in youth football is
2: it's, it's a fairly big problem is it um undetected at right. times um <clears throat> sorry exactly for the reasons that fabio was talking about firstly the, the player himself or herself and or the parents may not understand the signs yeah <clears throat> we're not as a society well educated in picking up the signs and picking up potentially from before okay it is a slippery slope it doesn't happen in a day or two is a is a continuous continuous process that will happen within weeks or months <clears throat> and unless the person is well-educated uh, to understand what is going on, all the people around, when well, it goes undetected, mm. till potential is too right. far gone. Yeah. Uh, there are ways to, to, to pick it up, of course, and there are ways to uh, reverse it if you, if you pick it up in time. In fact, may I say that sometimes with uh, people in my vicinity, like close family or friends, if I can see it quickly enough, I can just quickly um, help. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, you need to be trained to a level that potentially uh, the person, uh, the layman is not. Uh, but nevertheless, it's it's a phase that we all recover from and parents can enter that as well, uh, not knowingly, because obviously they may have put a lot of hopes, not for themselves necessarily, but because the young one, the child that they have, wanted to succeed in a certain uh, field or in a certain situation. So uh, they can they can actually feel it themselves without knowing what is going on. Why you know am I not motivated motivated to go to work today? Mm. And you know feeling a bit flat. Um, so that, that 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 could be there, uh, there for, for everybody.
1: When you say that um, it's a big problem, mm-hmm. like how many players in academy would be suffering?
2: Well, generically, uh, we could see at least ten percent. Really, of players. Yes. Now, does he hate um, football players less than the general population? Probably yes, but probably even deeper mm-hmm. when he yeah. does. Yeah, yeah I mean, more confined see, but deeper.
0: We yeah. can see a couple of players who actually committed suicide yeah. um, because of those problems. There was a the Man City young player, yeah, Jeremy. Um, so, I mean, it is a, a big, big problem. Um, it is something that needs to be dealt with. And I think people need to get better at teaching themselves of what to to expect. I understand. But I mean, there
1: might be some parents who are thinking, oh, I wouldn't want to actually send my kid to an academy mm-hmm. because if 10% are suffering, mm-hmm. like, how, what, what are you saying? Are you saying that 10% you think are actually suffering from depression?
2: They probably will at one point or another. All right. It's fabulous. It's not like a continuum. It's not like all the time. I mean, when they're very young, potentially they might not, but they might. Um, You see, I think... And I don't have figures to prove this, but I think that um, children suffer with depression more than what we think because they have losses at a young age and they go undetected. Um, There aren't many studies on, for example, uh, you know, little Joe Blocks gets a a brother that is born when he's five or six when he's starting his journey into football. That shifts his position in the family already. Mm. So that's the first big loss that a very young player may have when the parents are torn in between looking after a baby and looking after your needs. Um, So the children can suffer with depression completely undetected. Um, And then again, because it's such a secretive world, the numbers that we have nowadays do not reflect reality. As much as... um, the generic figures tell us that about 25% of the population will suffer with depression at one point or another even that figure is definitely not correct yeah. because doctors do not um, have the obligation to disclose yeah. their figures and, and people usually don't report.
0: Yeah, how are you going to get figures yeah. when people aren't aren't speaking out? Yeah, But definitely at a younger age is when they're most vulnerable um, to creating these these negative beliefs, and that is the most important age where they should be getting taught yeah. Um, so yeah
2: but also uh, when we talk about depression, which has you know is like' it's like a, a vast spectrum of um, uh, intensity, yeah, but um frequently, I would think that one of the biggest problems for um players. For footballers, um, especially at academy level, is anxiety to start with. So, because of their fears—fears fears of, you know, failure, fears of non-performing, fear of not being good enough, fear of being dropped, fear of X, endless, Y, and Z—yeah, yeah, endless fears. When you um, imagine that you're carrying a rucksack and you're putting you know, a little bit into that rucksack every day so fears of something today which are unresolved because I am not talking about it or because maybe my parents are afraid of that very thing and I heard them talking. So you keep on feeling the rucksack, eventually becomes too heavy and that's when depression hits. Mm. I so mean, we're talking about all these negatives. Yeah. No, yeah. no,
1: no, but it's, it's, helpful, it's helpful to understand mm-hmm. because like for instance we talked earlier like some of those fears are necessary to achieve success of course because the player should in theory be fearful that someone will come and take their spot yeah Yeah. because if they don't have a fear then exactly, exactly maybe potentially they stop training as much and they stop working as
2: hard yeah so what's the fine line? That's mm. what I'm hearing here. There is a fine line. So if I have the knowledge, I want to call it knowledge rather than anxiety. If I have the knowledge, and I remember as a parent being told by the coach, "Okay, this year is going to get tougher for your son because we the kids are competing for spots yeah. in the team." Yeah, and I remember thinking, "Oh gosh," mm. uh, because I was uneducated as a parent, uh, as uh, you know, my husband and I uh, had no knowledge of. You know the football world somehow, in us and our son wanted to be a footballer. Um, so, the 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 kind of understanding here is, you know, you don't know where you you're you're at basically. So, uh, the the journey becomes quite, quite quite complex. Okay, so there's a complexity there yeah. that we need to um, unravel and, and and understand basically. Yeah,
1: but then I'm still not feeling like I'd know. Um, if if I've got a kid, I don't mm-hmm. have any children, but if I did and they were sort of becoming, a where's the fine line here? Yeah, uh, I I want to allow them to yeah have some fear, mm-hmm. some fear. But when do I know that the rucksack is full? It's
2: full. Um, it, it, okay, <clears throat> as I was saying, as, as a parent, sometimes it's it's difficult to define. Let's define it together. Having pressure and having that kind of, you call it fear, fantastic, let's go with that. Having a little bit of fear is really good as long as we do not catastrophize. Mm. So as long as we actually say, that's why the complexity comes in, um, as long as we, we don't say, oh my God, if you don't get that spot, that's the end of your world. Okay, that will be crushing. Right. So that's when we create anxiety with that ah. fear. If I have the fear of not getting that spot, it's so all right. What can I do about yeah, it?
0: it's like the fear of it's like the fear of not getting the spot, but being okay yeah. or accepting that you may oh. not get it yeah. and you can deal with the consequences. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah there's a, that
2: resilience. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There's there's a parent that I speak to. Um, I speak to a lot and his kid is amazing um, and i'm always sort of like saying oh how do you do what do you do um, this parent talks about um how he ensures that his children ha- feel so loved and um, they feel so loved and supported and they know no matter what if they fall, everyone's gonna be around them to pick them up and support them. And then that means that these children go and do the most sort of brave things because they've got very little fear of failure. They've got so much inner confidence and they do go and work hard and and the parents set very high expectations for the children, but at the very sort of deep root, they understand that they can fall and it's gonna be okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. that's exactly it. It's, It's knowing that you can put yourself way out of your comfort zone but you've got that like support network around you as well as yourself to be okay with the consequences and accept whatever, whatever the outcome. Mm. So amazing.
1: Well, um, so you formed this company footballers minds. Um, what other types of work that you do with parents and players and clubs?
2: Um, we, we do a lot of uh, workshops obviously and in the workshops it depends a little bit of what um, either an academy or, or the uh, you know the structure wants so um, we we can focus on um, emotional regulations okay uh, so we're regulating emotions because as we've been talking a lot about feelings um, and we all feel as humans but it's good to be able to regulate it so if there was anxiety if there was fear if if there was anger frustration how do we contain it to a level that is workable so exactly what you were asking before our uh, fears okay of course they are to the level that you know then i can contain and not catastrophize again um what about if i feel angry and frustrated good but let's have that not taking over my life um and, and let's contain the self-talk as well mm. so emotional regulations um We do quite a lot of um, uh, different mindsets, growth mindset as well. Uh, We do the conscious and unconscious mind, because it's something we didn't get into today, but uh, obviously we do something quite consciously, and other um, acts or, or even feelings that I have could have been unconscious. Mm. So me not knowing how I created that, and that's part mm. of programming the mind. And
1: we even do that for children like under twelve. Of course, really? Yeah,
2: yeah. I developed the program because I did work for a few seasons with um, AFC Wimbledon. Uh, from under nines. So from the moment they start the academy, that's what we did for a few seasons. uh, And what
1: sort of techniques would you use?
2: Well, quite a lot of techniques, quite simple um, from the under nines to the under 12s, in fact. But funnily enough, they were the most responsive in the sense that so open, so candid, so honest. Yeah, Uh,
0: but that's not even surprising. No. That's expected at such a young age
2: so knowledgeable as well of themselves and Mm. what was going on around them they became more boxed up from 12 onwards Mm. when pressure really came on when they went they they started secondary school so everything became serious
1: Mm. i see yeah so so when you say sorry i want to just sort of like really dig dig into the techniques um so maybe like parents can look into that more yes but would it be just like talking to them to ask them about what their sort of inner voice says.
2: Yes, we were um, concentrating a lot on the uh, self-talk. And as I said, at that young age was mostly quite nice self-talk. And interestingly, I heard from them and from their parents, the parents' self-talk and talk to the children was very healthy too. Mm. Uh, So it's very encouraging. Uh, But we were also looking at more mindful-like techniques as well to be aware of yourself your body um, developing some breathing techniques grounding techniques and also techniques on how to take on failure yeah
0: mm. and just on that as well we we have a service um with buddy ups so it's that's where myself um to to the younger age groups um so like those 10 11 year olds and we've myself and Daniela have done a few sessions with um particularly this one 11-year-old who really found like the advantages in what we were doing in the sense that before the sessions, he would really struggle with his like inner dialogue and self-talk, bearing in mind he was 11. Um, and after he found that like the techniques we were, we were speaking about like really helped him. Mm-hmm. Um, so like things like visualizing um, like what he wants to achieve and being more aware of what his, his like, head is telling him like in the most simplest ways can be really effective for such a like a young kid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: we work on the mind. I mean, Fabio is great um, with body. We call them body ups in the sense that you know he, he talks as a mentor to younger players. Um, but what, what what we do, we are very creative with the children. Sometimes you know we have a, a technique in mind, but they tell us how they want to you know put yeah. the technique in practice, which is fantastic because. I as a, th- a therapist can actually, you know, go the de- go uh, very high level and maybe um, not homing in sometimes, and they're telling me, "Oh, can we do it this way?" Yeah, of course you can, mm. and that's you know, it's a good relationship to have.
1: Mm. No, no, it's it's fascinating. Um, it's fascinating to hear um, in terms of like when would a parent need to sort of say, "Oh, I need to reach out to you guys." Like what at what stage?
2: Prevention is good. Prevention. Okay. Yes, exactly. It's, it's um, you know, am I more successful treating an issue or preventing it? Well, the answer is if we can prevent it, why not? Yeah. yeah. So, obviously, if there's an issue there, please reach out to us and we will be able to uh, treat any issues. Um,
1: but, but hang on, sorry. So, um, <laughs> so so almost all parents should be getting therapy for their children. Is that your belief? Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, w- when we say th- it's not therapy that I would just no. give, Because therapy yeah. is given on an issue. Right. Okay. There is an issue. Let's treat mental it. Mental training. Yeah. It's mental training. So beforehand, um, it's good to have a mental training in the sense of, How do we deal with uh, fears? How do I deal with a young one that potentially will feel too much pressure? Or how do I deal in preventing that frustration becoming my child's negative self-talk?
0: It's like how do you equip your child with all the correct techniques so that when they do experience those failures, they have like a, a knowledge on what they can do especially at such a young age it is so important that they get those like healthy beliefs um to like take on into into adulthood as well Mm. so how many
1: sessions would you advise that a parent does let's say you've got a parent who's got a kid at an academy who's six or seven how how much should they do
2: probably a handful of sessions what would be um over the course
1: of a year yeah, right. yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, even more ideal would be uh, potentially, because there isn't an issue yet, or we're trying to educate, let's call it education, mental training and education. Uh, it would be good to have workshops for all the parents together to pick up on a few techniques. And obviously, if then there is a need for a parent or a set of parents to go a little bit deeper, then it's when we can give, you know, more personalized sessions. But um you know the 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 group sessions the group workshops it's quite ideal because for
1: prevention yeah as well. for
2: prevention
1: oh so you'd go to let's say it's a grassroots club yeah and the grassroots coach or team secretary would reach out to you and say i've coordinated all these parents we want to do some mental resilience training yeah can we do, do a session with our 10 players yeah yeah and you would do a two-hour
0: workshop would that be what it would be like yeah Yeah. um and then after if the kid or the child or even the parent wanted to you know have more um personalized sessions then that's when like the one-to-ones with Daniela would come in or if the kid wanted more mentoring um then that was when I would come in but yeah, yeah. that was how
2: the, or we do a combination as yeah. well we've done sessions like you know if we give a child who is in need of uh, some help um mainly with confidence yeah I mean a lot of children is they call it confidence and it is a combination of a few things so we may do half and half yeah more therapeutic from me more mentoring like from Fabio and yeah it's usually a winning combination
1: yeah. mm. Yeah, the the FA have the four corner model, and they have technique. They have the physical corner. Yeah. Uh, they have the sort of social corner, and then the mental corner. Yeah, um, so it is probably an area that maybe gets neglected mm. with because parents sort of a very sort of visual, and they're like, oh, my child's running fast and they control the ball yeah. well. <laughs> and what's going inside? Y- y- absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then this other area is just being neglected, and then it's only then. Far, far later on, that, that they that they haven't got that resilience, or they, mm. they're not able to like deal properly with failure.
2: Um, I know you were asking me before about figures, because sometimes it's good to um, have some numbers on the table. Apparently, a few studies have actually proven that uh, about ninety percent of the success rate for an athlete comes from mental, not from physical. And these are our top athletes who have actually completed these um, surveys. So they have said that 90% of you know, the outcome as an athlete is mental. So the 10% is physical. Now, I mean, is it an accurate uh, appraisal? That I don't know, but um, if if a professional athlete tells me that, then I'm listening. So mental health and mental stability. uh, So mental training counts for quite a lot.
1: And sorry, one of my last questions. um, I think it's been an amazing conversation. I think very, very beneficial to parents, probably in a subject that they've never really delved into at such detail, I would imagine, um, because it's not really talked about in football. Um, But yeah, social media in football, um, in youth football especially,
0: what influence or what impact do you think that has on mental health? Yeah, um, I think... Uh, as a, as a footballer myself, I think I've realised that being on social media can be very beneficial for some things, um, but it can cause you to compare yourself to um, like what other players are doing, um, because on social media it's usually like all the good things going on in your life, and then you compare it back to your life, and if you're not in the in the team or not in in the squad, you're kind of comparing your situation to theirs. But it's important to realise that, like your your journey is different to everyone else's. Um, but yeah, social media can be a, a difficult place for some some players.
2: Yeah, I mean my my experience with social media very much what Fabio is saying, I've been working at a different level completely with um, referees and assistants in in, in Greece, uh, led by uh, Mark Clattenburg. Uh, so uh, for them, social media is like crushing. Okay, and we're talking, you know, professional, um, you know, referees and assistants, and the healthiest of them actually are switching that off a few days before the match and a few days after. So that's the impact, basically, even at that level, that social media can have on your well-being and emotions. Yeah.
1: Or we, yeah, we just did an episode um previously, which was just all around that subject, Mm -hmm. um yeah this it's a new world isn't it 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 it's ever changing um but i'm sure there's definitely you know impacts for for people on their mental health with social media absolutely Mm -hmm. um guys thank you so much for your time um i think that's been an amazing conversation and like i said before i'm really beneficial to parents so thanks again and yeah if, if parents want to reach out to you um how can they do that
2: well they can reach us via our website they can send us an email there are telephone numbers there as well and it is footballersminds.com
1: brilliant all right thank you thank both. you so Cheers. much thank, thank you, you.